In today's programme, we interview Nell Stevenson. Now, apart from being an Ironman athlete, a marathon runner, a health and fitness instructor and a paleo chef, she's also the power behind the fantastic website paleoeaster.com. Nell has a fascinating story. Nell turned to paleo in 2005 as what some might consider a last-ditch attempt at dealing with some mysterious GI issues that included endless visits to doctors and hospitals and virtually every test in the book and some that aren't even written down. And thankfully, adopting the paleo lifestyle ended virtually every one of those medical problems simply by omitting certain foods and focusing on the natural balance of local seasonal vegetables, wild proteins and natural fats, all in keeping with the paleo diet. Since then, Nell has refined how she looks after herself and has passed all that she's learned on to so many people through things like working with Dr. Cordain on writing the Paleo Diet Cookbook. So let's join Nell and Alan now as Nell reveals her secrets to living a great paleo life. Good morning, Nell, and welcome to Local Paleo Show. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. So, Nell, uh, I found out about you last year while I was doing my research on paleo. And, of course, one of the first books I came across was Dr. Lauren Cordain and the cookbook that came right next after that. And you uh, participated in that. So, they already put you on my radar. And then I wrote my book. And once I was done, then I followed up on some things. And then noticed that uh, you were definitely up there in the uh, pantheon of the paleo world. So I wanted to uh, reach out and, and talk to you, and so here we are today. Yes, thank you. I appreciate you reaching out. It's good to connect with like-minded people in the same space that are interested in, in cooking healthfully, but also in a beautiful presentation, and it's a very nice way to eat for people that are interested simply in eating a good meal, too. It's always a pleasure to talk to people that have such knowledge. And since I'm a chef as well, you know, my focus typically is food and nutrition. Uh, I'm not as knowledgeable in the sports side of the business. Can you tell us a little uh, about your background and how you came to Paleo? Yes. My background includes being very interested in nutrition and fitness from a very early age. I studied exercise physiology at USC. Um, I was an athlete, and I was loving my education, and um, at the same time, I was very sick from the time I was a child through my early 20s, just plagued with GI issues, and although I knew that I was eating a healthy diet, or so I thought, as per my education, um, I continued to get more and more sick, and it wasn't until I had reached what I referred to as a tipping point, where I was regularly going to doctor's offices and GI specialists and hospitals just trying to figure out why I was so sick all the time with stomach issues and nobody could figure out what was going on but nobody was asking what I was eating and left to my own devices I started doing some research online and I realized that I had a gluten intolerance and even though I was not tested or I was not diagnosed with celiac disease that didn't mean that the gluten wasn't still really causing a lot of damage so when I cut the gluten out I started to feel better in a matter of days and I continued on doing the gluten-free approach for about a year because back then at the time I thought that I needed 
the, all the gluten-free things as an endurance athlete, like gluten-free bread and gluten-free pasta and gluten-free, all the different things, you name it. And even though I felt better not eating the gluten, I still didn't feel fantastic. But I was starting to realize that if all this time for my entire life I was eating something that I thought was so good for me, which was whole wheat, it was actually making me very sick. I wondered if there were any other foods that would fall into the same category. And sure enough, when I went back online to do a little bit more research, and I found Dr. Cordain's work, and it all made sense to me that some of the other foods I had been eating were also making me less than ideally healthy, like soy and some of the legumes that I was eating. Um, part of my process included being vegan for two years. And when I was vegan, I was certainly eating more than my fair share of soy and gluten and that type of thing. So it's been an evolution. And it's been since 2005 that I've become that I've been following the paleo diet for myself, and I, I've never felt better. And that's part of the reason why it evolved to become such a large part, not just of my personal life, but also of my career as well. Now, I understand you wear many, many hats, um, so many that I'm just tired, just uh, trying to think of the different things you do. Can you tell us about the different activities that you do? Yes. Uh, so my career has sort of evolved organically. I initially was focusing primarily on private fitness training when I first graduated, um, which was almost 20 years ago. And as I learned more about the paleo approach, I began sort of peppering little principles with certain clients, just um, starting with clients that mentioned that they wanted to lose weight or clients that mentioned they had some stomach issues. I would share some of the things that I had learned and, and realized that Initially, these few clients that I was working with were starting to benefit from this advice, whether they were trying to lose weight or different health issues that they were addressing. And as, as it progressed, I realized it wasn't just certain populations that would benefit from eating this way. It was actually everybody seemed to, to be benefiting from this way. So um, back in 2007, I reached out to Dr. Cordain and sent him a letter saying, Thank you for your work. You've changed my life, and you've also really made a significant impact on the way that I work with my clients. And that was the initial point of contact, um, sure, and the, that I had with Dr. Cordain. And it's been an amazing opportunity to work with him um, on the cookbook and on the implementation program, writing for his newsletter, and just to have him to refer to. And uh, most recently, we had the opportunity to be on the Dr. Oz show um, last spring, which was incredible. Um, so the nutritional counseling has become sort of the core part of what I'm doing, both on an individual basis as well as with large corporations. I had a, an incredible opportunity last spring to go out to Hamburg to speak with the Airbus uh, at their Global Leadership Symposium to help them uh, understand how much the eating, healthy eating would positively impact workplace productivity. Um, and then that along with that came more public speaking engagements. So now it's it's pretty cool to be able to work both with individual people um, on a local basis as well as internationally and also to be able to implement, um, to work with corporations and, and reach more people on a larger scale. Um, so, so that's, it's been a, it's a, it's been a really um, fun journey and it's, it's still in the, in the making. Can you tell us about the Paleoista? Yes, Paleoista is the brand that I developed uh, a couple of years ago, which is also the name of my second book. And the the goal with Paleoista was to allow people to understand that it doesn't have to be all about the caveman approach. Certainly, that is one way to do it. You can be a caveman, but you don't have to be. 
And I found with clients that sometimes they would hear the word paleo or they would hear the word the caveman diet and they'd be frightened because they thought, well, I don't want to be a caveman. I don't want to be Fred Flintstone. And you don't have to be. Um, and I really want people to understand that really the essence of the true paleo approach is just about eating fresh, local, seasonal food um, and keeping it all in balance. It's nothing radical. It's nothing extreme. It's nothing crazy. It sometimes is perceived to be that way because there's lots of interesting um, interesting to strange uh, nuances popping up out of the woodwork that are using the word paleo. And, and some, place, some companies are actually starting to kind of just jump on the paleo bandwagon and use the word for foods that aren't even really paleo anymore. Um, you see all kinds of things like paleo cookies and breads and treats and this and that. And my position on that is there's a place in the paleo approach for that. Certainly on a special occasion, it's nice to know that you can make um, a truffle. There's a recipe that I have on my site for a truffle, which is made out of raw cacao, almond butter, coconut oil, a little bit of honey. And knowing that you can make these types of things now and then is a great idea, but I think it gets taken out of context as one example where people are subsisting on these things on a daily basis. So... Um, that's one of the things that I, I'm trying to portray with the, the paleoista approach is just it, it's a modern, healthy way to eat the way that our ancestors ate. In the words of Dr. Cordain, the point of the paleo diet is to mimic the food groups that our ancestors ate with foods that are readily available to us in our farmers markets, our grocery stores, and even in our own backyards. It is possible to be a fashionable cave woman then. Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, if you take the word paleo out of the picture and you just suggest to people that they eat a lot of fresh local seasonal vegetables and they include healthy protein sources such as wild fish and pastured poultry and grass-fed meats and some healthy fat from avocado, olive oil, and coconut oil, that just, to me, sounds like a common-sense approach. And I think sometimes using the word paleo um, the way it's sort of turning into lots of different meanings for different people, sometimes it can be off-putting. And so with Paleoista, I want people to understand it's just about healthy eating and moving. In fact, the presentation I give is entitled Eat Food and Move because it really is that simple. Um, no matter how sick somebody is, if they begin to eat real food and take the non-foods out of their diet and start to move, incorporate some type of movement to their diet, chances are they're going to be at least healthier they, than they are uh, right now. My impression from looking at your site, and this is uh, the way it feels to me, is that you're trying to portray um, the fact that you can be paleo and yet be feminine as well. Oh, absolutely. That's another demographic I really want to reach out to. Not specifically, not to say that I'm only trying to work with women or only trying to reach women, but that's one of the things that I do want people to understand is that Again, um, traditionally, it's, it feels like a lot of the different approaches to paleo have been more sort of the caveman diet. And in fact, most of the time when you see some reference to the paleo in the media, it's usually coined that way. So-and-so is following the caveman diet, whether they're talking about a celebrity that got ready for a role or somebody else that, that got healthy because they followed this way of eating. Um, so yes, I want people to understand that you can certainly be feminine, you can be modern, you don't have to be a cave woman. This is just about eating healthy, real, fresh food. On the um, more exercise side, can you tell us what you're currently involved and what you do to stay in shape? Yes, I've been doing um, triathlon for quite a long time. I started doing short course back in 1998. 
And um, I love endurance athleticism. I do. Uh, I still continue to race Ironman and half Ironman, as well as marathoning and ultra marathoning. Um, and my takeaway message to people that visit my site or that might follow me on Twitter or read my newsletter is certainly not that everybody has to race triathlon or has to do endurance sport, but just that you're moving in some way, shape, or form. And in fact, when people ask me what's the best form of exercise to do, the answer is the same for everybody, only in as much as if you do it regularly, you'll 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 be more likely to have success. So the answer to what the best form of exercise is, is the one that you will actually do. Um, anytime somebody tells me, I hate the gym, I just joined the gym, or I don't like playing, uh, you know, I don't like group activity, so I just signed up for such and such class. The, the idea is exercise should feel like play. So rather than force yourself to do something that you know you hate doing, Think about how children look on a playground and they're laughing and jumping and having a lot of fun. And that's how the activity part of our lives should be. It should feel like play. So if you're doing something that you're you're trying to force yourself to do something that you don't enjoy and it feels like a, a, a punitive measure, think about what you'd actually like to be doing. And if you can find something fun, guess what? You'll be a lot more likely to do it. I understand. Uh, my favorite form of exercise is napping. Is that acceptable? Well, uh, I wouldn't categorize it as now uh, as a form of exercise. However, you bring up a very good point in the in the idea that um, rest and recovery is a very important part of a healthy approach to living as well. Um, I think a lot of us can really easily overlook that part, and we can inaccurately categorize sleep as something that we can sort of cut down on if we need to get some more work in or fit in more things during the day. But I think you know, that that bring that actually raises a really good point that we have to make sure that we are incorporating enough rest and recovery, but even for athletes or, or somebody who's got a, a very full workload, we've got to make sure we get our sleep in. Yeah. For me, the, uh, the, the exercise of choice is dancing. That's awesome. Yeah. Salsa or uh, La Rock or something like that. Any, any of those sort of fairly fast things are great as far as that, I'm concerned. I couldn't agree more. Whatever it is that you enjoy doing, that's what you should be doing. Mm. Yeah, yeah I was um, I was halfway joking earlier, but uh, I do also enjoy dancing, and uh, I walk, but uh, I don't do any you know any strenuous kind of exercise. I do pay attention to what I eat. I uh, I do get out and and walk and play uh, you know uh, one of the French game called pétanque, and that's basically my uh, my form of exercise. Can you tell us more about sleep and uh, maybe like uh, meditation and such way of relieving stress in the paleo world? My personal take on, on sleep and meditation and rest and eating, I think they're all very important keys to a healthy overall approach to living. Um, I think taking time to make sure your sleep environment is set up properly is something worth addressing. Making sure that you're sleeping in a bedroom which is completely black, completely quiet, um, with the exception of a white noise, if that's something that's something that you feel will help you sleep, I actually use an app that has white noise and it has a little bit of a an undertone of I think it's called a binaural sound where it helps sort of lull you into a deeper sleep and just making sure you actually get enough hours per night um, and also things like if you do have a glass of wine now and then try not to have it right before bed, have it with your meal and time your food as far as when you're eating and between what the time the amount of time that will elapse between when you eat and when you go to bed and 
and um, not too much activity right before bed. If you do watch television, try not to have that in your bedroom. All these things collectively add up to a better night's sleep. Another handy thing to do is to download one of the um, sleep tracking devices because it's easy to think that you're getting enough sleep if you go to bed at 10 and you arise at 6, but maybe you've been tossing and turning all night. You didn't actually sleep for 8 hours. Maybe you slept for 5. So just being aware of all these things are um, very important as an overall picture of your health. If you're not getting enough sleep regularly, it's very easy to compromise your body's production of growth hormone, which will then really compromise your ability to recover from activity properly. So all these things are really uh, important things to address when you're looking at your sleep patterns. And then as far as the meditation, I think it's important that, that all of us include, uh, you know, tuning into breath and thought and that type of thing. And for me, it's only recently that I began to incorporate yoga more in a meditative type of approach versus the the more workout type of approach. And I think it's good to be able to start incorporating it, even if it's for a small period of time. For years, the only time that I felt I would be able to meditate would be while I was running. And I still am able to do that um, and to be able to start to learn how to sit in meditation, even again, even if it is for a few minutes a day, is just it's a tremendously calming way to um, tune in and, and just sort of de-stress, even if it's for a little bit of time. But I think overall, it's a great way to make for a more productive, more calm and balanced day. Yeah, I uh, I noticed that if I <clears throat> if I rush out and I don't do my thirty minutes uh, meditation in the morning, uh, something is missing. Yeah, definitely. You know, I don't I don't feel centered the same way. Yeah, I, I recently completed my um the first part of my yoga teacher training, which is the two hour two hundred hour component and just the um of course the educational experience that I gained from that was tremendous, but the overall sense of calm that I took away was incredible and just to feel so much more present and balanced and to realize you can only do one thing at a time no matter how busy you might feel. Um, was a was a huge takeaway. So I think I, I can't highly recommend that enough. Right. Uh, uh, I've I've done yoga and I've I should go back to it. But one thing that's important that our teacher was uh, trying to teach you is that to focus on the moment and you can't bring your problems, the outside problem, onto the yoga mat. You have to kind of leave that behind. So. Uh, focus on on you know the movements and the uh, and the resting period at the end and try to forget as much as possible the outside stress and events and so on and so forth. So uh, it is yoga in this case is very helpful too. I couldn't agree more. And not only do when you step onto the yoga mat is it's part of the practice to kind of focus in just on what you're doing at that exact moment but also to take what you do on the yoga mat out into the world as well. So that calm that you feel and that balance, I mean, it's it sounds like kind of a, a silly thing to say, but can you imagine if everybody did yoga, how much, how much of a more calm place the entire world would be? It's just, it's yeah. incredible to think about. And I was, I was at the park um, over the weekend and I saw the most amazing thing, which was a mom with two young kids, probably aged seven and five, and they were doing yoga and then they sat in meditation and, I thought, wow, that's really cool. And, you know, it's it's kind of unfortunate that things like that are not the norm because they should be. Anybody can meditate. Anybody can do yoga. You don't need anything, any gear. You can just do it. So um, 
I don't know. I, I just encourage everybody to at least look into it. Again, even if it's you have the most hectic, most busy schedule in the world, even if you can find five minutes, it could be incredibly calming just to tune into your breath and, and focus inside for just, just a glimpse of, of, of time. Can you tell us a little more about your chef side or your food side? I understand you're working on the book. Yes, I am working on third, book number three is going to be coming out in uh, January and more to come on that. Um, I consider myself mostly a self-taught chef. I did attend culinary school after I did my degree in exercise phys, um, but I've been cooking since I was about four. And cooking for me is an art form. I love it. Um, I, I highly encourage people to look into it. The nice thing about cooking compared to baking is you can be a lot more liberal, liberal and you don't have to worry so much about measurements. I always use the example of if you're baking a cake, you can't exactly say, Let's see what happens if I use half the flour or if I don't put the baking soda in the, you know, it'll be a disaster. With cooking, I honestly believe there are really only two things that you can not fix, one of which is burning something. It's pretty hard to mask a burnt flavor or oversalting. But in the paleo approach, we're not salting. There's a few exceptions, um, I think, with using using salt in the paleo diet. But as as a, as a rule of thumb, we're not salting stuff. So other than that, it's just kind of a it's kind of a fun mix and match experiment. You know, you might make a a, a dish with salmon and sun-dried tomatoes and basil and realize that you thought that combination might also work really well on chicken. Or you realize that the the other dish you made, you probably used a little bit too much tarragon and next time you'll go for, you'll go for another herb. But it's just, it's kind of a fun work in progress. Um, I also teach uh, cooking classes at a local boutique culinary academy and Santa Monica, which is a lot of fun. So different classes that I teach, um, usually about once a month. I do appreciate the the more freedom part of the uh, the cooking side of business. But uh, originally, I was trained as a pastry chef and uh, and a baker. So for me, it's all about precision and about you know following because pastry making is all about chemistry. So if you if you try to be a little too creative on one end, uh, you can actually come to disaster. But um, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I express my creativity on the you know cake decoration side. So that was how I uh, I, I released that creativity instead of the cooking. Uh, there's always been in kitchens, in professional kitchen, there's always been a war between the the cooks and the pastry chefs because. Uh, the cook are saying, you know, you pastry chef are too uptight, and and uh, you know, and and us the pastry chef, we always say, oh, well, you cooks are so messy, you yeah. know, there's no, there's no, um, you know, clear path, you know, and so it's a, it's also probably a, a function of uh, how one's approach life or uh, his mind is organized too, you know, cooks maybe tend to be more uh, free flowing you know, a creative type, and then uh, the pastry people are more, they're creative in their way too, but in more structured way. Yeah. So what else are you involved in right now that you're excited about? I am just about to open my paleo lifestyle studio here in Los Angeles, which is really exciting. It's uh, something I've been wanting to do for quite a while, and to have a home base and use sort of as a a little experiment. Um, it's really exciting. I will be offering. I will continue to offer the one-on-one -on -one nutritional counseling, as well as some educational series, including a monthly. Um, I'm, I'm still 
deciding what type of classes I'll be offering, but things along the lines of paleo education 101, paleo for women, paleo for athletes, as well as hosting guest speakers that have similar things to offer on a complementary basis to what I'm doing. So it might be a, a guest speaking on breast cancer awareness or mindful meditation, uh, tuning into your breath. These things are all in the works and really, really excited to have a, a home base to, to begin to offer these things. Yeah, it sounds great, actually. I wish there was such a studio in Austin, but um, hopefully you can spread that kind of um, attitude towards other yoga studios. I, I, you know, obviously, I haven't explored every single yoga studio out there, but typically they're just focused on the yoga part and not on the whole uh, body health attitude. So it's a, it's a very good way for you to do that. You you kind of create a community and 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 help people to realize that there's a lot more to than yoga. You know, there's a complete picture and the holistic yeah, and I, body. Yeah, and I will. Uh, I, I forgot to mention that I will. Uh, I will also be offering um, small group yoga and, and individual um, classes in the studio. So it'll be a balance of the nutrition consultation, education, and some movement as well, which is uh, a nice balance to all the other activity that people are involved with. Taking you back a little bit, sort of some almost a decade, I should think, back to when you were doing a, a following a vegan diet for those two years. You said that that didn't actually do a lot for you. How strict a vegan were you? Very strict. I wouldn't even wear, I, I mean, no honey, no leather, no wool. I was actually really, really hardcore about it. And this was about from the year 2000 to 2002. And it, it's interesting because I, I began it for ethical reasons and health reasons. I was, you know, my stomach issues had, had progressed pretty badly by then. Um, so I have to say I felt... I came from a background where I wasn't eating a bad diet in the first place. I always talk about the fact that my mom was a hippie, so the diet, uh, the diet we ate growing up was largely focused on no preservatives, no sugar, lots of vegetables, lots of fruit. However, we certainly ate whole wheat. We certainly ate organic dairy. We certainly ate lots of beans. So all those things collectively, I think, didn't help You know, whatever stomach issues I already had, even as a very small child. Um, so I tried the vegan approach, and... I, for about six months, I felt pretty good. Um, but then I started dreaming about fish and I would go to bed and dream about eating fish and wake up feeling horribly guilty because I, I really felt at the time it was ethically wrong. So it's not to say that one day I woke up and suddenly started eating steak. It was a very gradual transition. But after about two years, I finally um, did begin eating fish. And for me, what the balance was, um, was figuring out that the importance of sourcing the proteins was actually the key. And I do now feel that we're not just now, but for a while I've, I've came to the conclusion that for myself, I feel that humans are at the top of the food chain and we are meant to be eating animals and fish. Um, but at the same time, not at the cost of animals being treated inhumanely. So I mm -hmm. think making sure that the fish are always wild, making sure that the meat is always grass fed, making sure that the chicken is always pastured, Free range doesn't cut it because, unfortunately, free range doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. No. Um, just making sure that the animals are were raised the way they were supposed to be raised, killed in a humane fashion, and eating appropriately, I think, is actually the, the best balance for everybody. And it's funny because I've had a lot of people reach out to me who are vegan who have said, I really think I need to start eating protein. I'm craving it, and I, I really don't know how to do it, and I, 
even people that are, they reference the fact that their whole community is vegan and they don't know how to tell others that they're thinking about eating protein. And it's a difficult transition for sure. Mm. Um, but it seems like a lot of people end up um, feeling a little bit more comfortable eating wild fish. And I, I sort of jokingly start, started to refer to uh, fish as the gateway protein because just <laughs> once we start eating the fish, then it sort of... Um, it, it feels a little bit less uh, alarming to gradually start eating pastured poultry and that sort of thing. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, I only want to eat fish. Can I still follow a paleo diet while only eating fish and not eating red meat and not eating poultry? And yes, that is possible. Um, ideally, the more balance is better. However, um, just fish on paleo would work. What doesn't work, though, is sometimes I've seen interesting combinations uh, referring to a vegan paleo approach which doesn't make sense. No. Um, when followed properly, a vegan diet is actually similar to a paleo diet in that there's a, a large focus on eating an abundance of fresh vegetables and healthy. The fats um, can be the same. Um, however, the protein sources is obviously the huge difference because mm. on the vegan diet, you're not eating any animal protein. And on the paleo diet, you're not eating any legumes um, or grains. So that's, that's the key takeaway between differentiating. Mm. Yeah. Contrasting your sort of time as a vegan and your time on paleo, um, what would you say was the, the the biggest benefit you found from eating paleo? Oh, I can't even begin to count the benefits. But for one, first of all, not feeling sick every day. I mean, I was so sick with stomach issues. I was regularly going to the hospital, regularly going to the GI to different GI specialists, trying to figure out what on earth was going on. So that's the first thing. But um, sleep quality mental clarity, um, energy levels throughout the day, skin condition, um, performing in racing and training, um, weight loss, all these things collectively. It was almost like, you know, you see those silly ads on late, late night television for, you know, products marketed towards, oh, take this pill, it will do these, you know, eight health benefits for you. And it's, it's nonsense. It feels like a magic bullet that's never going to happen. But with paleo, it's, it kind of feels like that except in a, in a true way where you do get all these health benefits. Your sleep improves, your concentration improves, you're sick less often, you lose weight, your skin looks better. Hmm. Any health issues you're dealing with get better. Sometimes they completely resolve and sometimes they at least get better. And sometimes it, it's, um, I think here's the key, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, you know, a lot of, we most of us in America want a quick fix and we want it yesterday. So somebody has gained 50 pounds over the last five years and for some reason they feel they should lose it in a month. That's just not, it's not, it doesn't happen that way. No. Um, the exception would be certain conditions you can see benefits from sooner than later on paleo. For example, if you have acne or other skin conditions, you'll start to see changes fairly mm. quickly. Um, compared to neurological issues, if you have MS or uh, Hashimoto or Hashimoto's disease or other things like that where they're involving um, more deeper tissue like neurological tissue in the example of MS it takes a lot longer to turn over than skin tissue does so um, it takes a lot more patience but it's it's still worth it for the long run because we really do have the ability to heal ourselves with what we're eating and I think that's the beautiful thing about paleo is they're not pushing anything strange, no tricks, no gimmicks, no powders, no this, no that. Mm. It's The message is just this. If you eat what you're meant to be eating, your body will be healthier. That's it. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't be put better. <laughs> um, I mean, you've been uh, on, on a paleo diet for some, some 10 years now. I often ask this question of people that we chat with. 
If you could, knowing what you know now, go back and have a, a little pep talk with yourself, the you 10 years ago, is there anything that you would tell yourself to do differently? As far as following the paleo approach? Hmm. No. I mean, I think, well, let's see. The only thing that I think I would change is when I was when I was first, first, first paleo, um, and I mentioned that period of time where I was gluten-free for a year but still not paleo, and then I was paleo. Hmm. Back then, I think... Um, I still thought I needed some grains to fuel my endurance training. So I still thought, certainly if I'm going to do a long